that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarice with a very special guest. It's been a while, too long. Adam Rittenberg, one of the best college football writers in the country from ESPN. You guys remember him from way back in the day with the Big Ten blog. Invented the internet, I would say, Adam. Invented at least college football coverage on the internet. And now you cover the whole college football scene, coaching updates and transfer portal. And Adam Rittenberg is on top of everything. And we're so glad to have you on Buckeye Talk, Adam. It's great to be here, man. You're one of my faves and uh, miss those Big Ten blog days. I don't miss the workflow, but I miss the uh, embeddedness, if that's a word, in one league and and uh, and just knowing everything that you guys know about about all the teams in the conference. So um, now thrilled to be back and uh, had an interesting season. We have a lot to discuss regarding the Buckeyes and the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, college football's offseason is, is too long. But as my colleague Bill Connolly reminded me earlier today in a piece for ESPN.com, it does allow us uh, ample time to sort of break everything down, what just happened and what will happen this coming season. Yeah, no, and it's it's uh, with the portal stuff. The portal stuff is wild, but it does allow you to sort of analyze what are the moves mean. It is, it's just interesting that recruiting was always the draft, and now the portal is free agency. And we know the NFL is 365, but like sort of in that way, the constant player shuffling and the roster building and the strategy involved in it uh, really does change the offseason in a lot of ways. In some ways, it makes it more difficult to sort of look ahead already because it's like, well, I don't know, like, oh, Jermaine Burton's going to be on Bama. Well, that changes things. That changes my view of Georgia yeah. and my view of Bama. But all that certainly factors in. But as you said, I, the thing that I, I really like having you on stuff like this for is that you do have these Big Ten roots, but you have the national perspective now. So I think you're able to help us put Ohio State in the Big Ten in context that very few people can do. So I want to start with Jim Knowles, if you don't mind. And the idea, I mean, I can remember, we all remember, like when Brett Bielema left Wisconsin to go to Arkansas, and it felt like, you know, one of the things that he said in that moment, and that was kind of a thing in the Big Ten, is like, man, Big Ten doesn't pay assistance enough. Like, what are we doing? Right. Like, we got to. And so now you have a situation where Ohio State has a hole on a side of the ball, and it's like, oh, well, what's Ryan Day going to do to answer it? And it's like, I don't know, throw more money at the number one defensive coordinator candidate in the country than anybody else. I'm sure 10 different schools wanted this guy. And I'm not sure Ohio State had anything better to offer other than a fatter wallet, you know, and the other guys like Brett Venables. Great. Well, he's going to be a head coach. Marcus Freeman. Great. Well, he's going to be a head coach. Like if you're getting a defensive coordinator who is a current DC to come BADC, Jim Knowles was at the top of that list. What do you think about Jim Knowles? And what do you think about the idea that Ohio State was the school paying 1.9 1.9 million a year for three years to go get this guy. Yeah, I think this is a huge win for Ohio State and a much a must much needed move by Ryan Day after a season where it became very clear what they needed and that was an upgrade as far as the defensive coaching staff went. And I would add too, not only did other schools you know want Jim Knowles or would have pursued Jim Knowles, but Oklahoma State I was told put together a, a multi year seven-figure offer for him. So Oklahoma State's in a position where they can really upgrade their own investment in football. I spoke with Mike Gundy about that a few weeks ago. They really want to be kind of that top dog in the new Big 12. So they were uh, they, they weren't just a pushover here in terms of um, trying to get him out of there. It made it tough for him to leave. And uh, But Ohio State, with, with the, the, the prospect of competing for a national championship and the money and, um, and, and working with these players and on the staff, it made a lot of sense, I think, for for Jim to make this move, and so I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was decisive. Uh, I thought it was it's a move that um, you know gives Ohio State a chance to make a significant gain on defense next year, which may be all that it takes for them to get back to the college football playoff and have a chance to win a, a national championship, which I think you, you and I would both agree is overdue at Ohio State with everything Ohio State does and how they invest in their program. They should have won a national championship more recently than 2014. And that's what creates more tension and pressure and excitement going into the 2022 season, because if that defense can, can improve under Knowles and his track record suggests that it will, um, Ohio State right, is right there with Alabama as a favorite to win a co- the college football playoff this year. So um, I, I think it, you, you and I talked about it you, when I saw you during the season that um, you know, this is the one area about Ryan Day that was still a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, could he go out and make a big time 
coordinator hire? Could he make some tough decisions with coaches that he likes and respects, but had kind of been easy to hire or easy to put into roles? And if you look at what happened with Al Washington, you look at what happened with Kerry Coombs, um, he made those tough decisions. And now they're moving forward and we don't know if it'll work or not, but I think this was necessary after the way last season went. So the listeners on this podcast know that I say that assistant coaches are middle managers and programs are one at the top with the head coach and with the players and assistant coaches come and go. And now of course there are exceptions to that rule. And that's the whole point. But, but a lot of other times it's like, Oh, you know, people thought Matt Barnes was good. Hey, Matt Barnes, and then Matt Barnes is gone. And like, it's fine. It's whatever. So right. Um, you know, you don't have to say that because I know you talk to assistant coaches and they're good sources and stuff. So I'm not going to have you on this podcast and say, hey, Rittenberg said assistant coaches are meaningless. I'm not talking to that guy. So that's not what I'm asking. But I got to do tell you, though, maybe I'm just an old man. But one point nine million a year for an assistant coach is like a lot of cash, man. And and I guess this is the world. But every time it's like they it never stops there's like there's no what's the peak like how many years away are we from a three million dollar college football assistant coach i guess you just have to suck it up and do it and ohio state i mean i guess coming off covid everybody's a little crunch but still ohio state makes money but man like this world as much as it's like okay well the big 10 has to compete if they want to compete for national titles you've got to compete in salary for the best dudes it's a lot of money bro I don't know. Like it just as some part of it, like doesn't sit right with me, even if I can acknowledge, well, they had to fix the defense and they had to pay to get the best guy. Right. And if you look at the way struck, you know, well, first, you know, you're, you're right. The money's crazy. And, you know, for years, Ohio state was a bit of an outlier just in terms of the, the prestige or place the program occupies in college football they weren't shelling out big money. I mean, you look at some of Jim Trestle's last few staffs, mm-hmm. those were not staffs that were just raking in, you know, millions of dollars. And, um, but again, I, I, like I, like I wrote several times, I think the big 10 had to adjust to the times. And one thing that you see around much of college football is a, a staff model, especially when the head coach is more offense centric, more of a play caller, more of a quarterback guy, which Ohio state obviously has with Ryan day they will pay the big bucks for the defensive coordinator. Like it's all, you know, I mean, until this past hiring cycle, I always used to tell coaches, if you want to be a head coach, coach quarterbacks, if you want to make money, be a defensive coordinator. Because if you look at the salaries of top assistants, those were highly dominated by defensive coordinators versus offensive play callers. You mentioned Brent Venables had been the highest paid assistant in college football. That previously was Dave Aranda, defensive coordinator at LSU, who then uh, went to Baylor and is having success. Um, Mike Elko, who just got the Duke job, defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, then defensive coordinator at Texas A&M, was making a lot of money. And so, you know, again, I think to get into this elite group, do you have to pay your defensive coordinator $1.9 million? Uh, no, but you also have to get somebody in there that can help you win a national championship. And in talking to coaches, in talking to other people in the media, I don't know if anyone felt that this collection of Ohio state coaches on defense would have been the group to get this team over the hump to win a national championship. Because if you look now, and I don't completely hold this against Ryan day because it was the year before he got the head coaching job, but Ohio state in three of the last four years has been mediocre to bad on defense. Mm -hmm. And that's really, you can't really question that. Um, so something's got to shift. And the one year that they were great on defense was when they had a, a hire that Ryan day made from the outside that people didn't really know who he was. And, and he came in and Jeff Halfley had a great year and went on and, and became a head coach after that. So I, I, I guess I place a little bit more emphasis on uh, these staff hires that, than some do, but I also think when you're the uh, program of the caliber of Ohio state, you got to flex a little bit. And they did that this time. And they got a guy who I think will really help them get better on that side of the ball. So when Kerry Combs came back, I remember asking and thinking about the idea of like, hey, wouldn't it be great for this offensive head coach if you could sort of lock down a defensive coordinator who's going to be here with you for a while? That the, the Brent Venables model, or even what Kirby Smart did at, at Alabama with Nick Saban, that you get a guy who's, who's not looking to leave immediately. And that was off the heels of Halfley. 
who I think Ryan Day was surprised that Jeff Halfley left in a year. It's like they were almost too good. And all credit to Jeff yeah. Halfley, but that defense also had Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, oh, yeah. who were then the number two and number three picks in the draft the next year. But I, Ryan Day was surprised that Jeff Halfley left in one year. So it's like, okay, how can you – and it's this constant balance, Adam, and you, and you know it's like – what is continuity that's good? What is staleness that's bad? Clemson's had continuity. You talked about the Jim Trestle staffs. They had the same guys forever. And at the end of that, people would have said it was stale. It wasn't continuity, right? So like it's in the eye of the beholder and it's all about whether you win or not. Jim Knowles, when Chris Ash, and I'll get to my point. When Urban Meyer hired Chris Ash, Chris Ash was coming to Urban Meyer Finishing School. Chris Ash mm-hmm. made it very public. Like, listen, I'm coming, but I'm coming because I want to be a head coach, which right. is great. And he came and Chris Ash did a great job and helped Ohio State win a national championship. But he was looking for the next thing, which is which is fine. That's what most guys do. Jim Knowles is 56. That doesn't mean that's not too old for anything. I don't know. But is it possible that Ohio State just hired a guy who's going to be their defensive coordinator for the next 10 years? That I don't know what is in Jim Knowles's heart. I don't know if Jim Knowles is like, man, I'm going to I'm going to make the playoff twice and I'm going to get a program because if I'm going to be at it, I better do it now. Like the idea that Ohio State could get their own Brent Venables or could get their own Kirby Smart, that you're almost like the head coach of that side of the ball. You're in charge. You're the dude. You're established. You recruit players to how you run your defense. You're the man. Is that on the table with who Jim Knowles is and what Jim Knowles has done in his career? Yeah, I, and, I, and again, I think the appeal here, similar to um, uh, Oklahoma State, is, is you're coming in and, and, and you're running the defense. I mean, this is your deal now if you're Jim Knowles, and, and that's got to be really exciting uh, for, for him to have that type of opportunity at Ohio State. You know, would he want to be a head coach again, potentially, if, if the right opportunity came along? You know, he was at Cornell, uh, his alma mater earlier in his career. You know, I, I, I thought maybe Temple might make sense this year because he's a Philly guy and, and, uh, and they were looking for a head coach. But it, more than likely, he will finish his career as a defensive coordinator, given his age. And so that's the exciting part is that if, if he has success at Ohio State, you know, th- th- this this combination of Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, Kevin Wilson, you know, maybe keep Brian Hartline around as long as possible. You, you can build that type of continuity that um, you know, often is successful. Alabama has kind of been the one outlier, Doug, as far as a program that's turned over uh, a lot of a lot of assistance, high profile assistance, almost every year, and still been able to win. You know, and that speaks to your point that ultimately, if the guy at the top is right, it doesn't really matter who's around him, especially if he hires really smart assistant coaches, which Nick Saban obviously does. But if you want to become more like the Clemson model, where Dabo Sweeney, you know, kept. Uh, Brent Venables for longer than he really should have and kept Tony Elliott longer than he really should have. And both of those uh, men left for head coaching positions this year. Um, if, if you can create that at Ohio state, even for like three or four years, mm-hmm. that's almost an eternity in today's college football where there's a lot of movement among assistants. So I think that, that, you know, to, to your point, I think that could be really exciting to, to, to know that, Hey, this is our guy. This is how we're recruiting. There's no mystery about the scheme. You come here, you play for this guy in this scheme, and we're going to get you in the college football playoff and we're going to get you in the NFL. That's that's the recruiting pitch for Ryan Day now going forward. And it's a little different, but, you, you know, you look at a recent Ohio State hire where they hired a really established assistant coach who then has stayed here and not gone on to be a head coach somewhere. And Larry Johnson has helped transform Ohio State. And he's not a coordinator, but Larry Johnson is as important a position coach as anybody in college football. And if Jim Knowles who's going to be in charge of the whole defense can have the kind of impact that Larry Johnson has had on Ohio state. And we don't think Jim Knowles is going to be out quite as involved at closing recruits and that kind of thing. But you just think about Larry Johnson impact and he stayed and a guy who was, you know, maybe on the back half, certainly on the back side of his career when he got to Ohio state, but has been lights out. If Jim Knowles can be any version of that for seven or eight years. Holy moly. That would be transformative. I think for this Ohio state defense, uh, I do want to ask you coaching questions because you're so locked into that community. Brian Hartline elevated to passing game coordinator this year. We had a really good interview at the podium with Brian Hartline for like a half an hour during the season about his hopes, his goals. He doesn't seem like he's in a hurry to get out of here. He's got millions of dollars in the bank from the NFL, but he's also, you know, a smart, ambitious young coach. What do you have any, what's your view on sort of like how Brian Hartlight is viewed in the coaching community? 
And I have, I have theorized on an earlier podcast, Urban Meyer was never a coordinator right? before he went and was a head coach. He went from receivers coach to head coach. Brian Hartline now has this passing game coordinator thing, but he's not calling the offense. We know that. I wonder if that'll be Brian Hartline's path, that he's dynamic, he can recruit, he can coach. I think he's got a lot of this stuff. I wonder if he wants to be a head coach, how soon that could maybe happen. What's your view on Hartline and what, what did you get any, have any read on this promotion for him with the Buckeyes? Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of a no brainer promotion given how, how well he's done. And, and I mean, he's made that the best receiver room in college football. And um, you're certainly a guy that if you wanted to become a, a head coach you know, either this year or in the near future, he, he could do that. So if you're Ohio state, you want to try to keep him around as long as possible I don't think it's a lot of arm twisting because of, of who Brian is and his connection to the program and how much he wants to, to win national championships at, at Ohio state, but you know, you got to take care of your guys. And so I think that, that, that promotion made sense. Um, I think the urban Meyer comparison is fascinating, right? Because uh, you know, same position they coached and uh, you know, he urban was a guy that didn't need to be a coordinator, but had that charisma and those other uh, qualities that, that made him, a appealing candidate as a head coach at a very young age. And so, but again, does Brian Hartline want to go to Bowling Green next year? He could do it more than likely there'll be an opening next year, either at Bowling Green or a comparable program. So does he want to take that job or does he want to, you know, be at Ohio state for another five years and, 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 and come up under Ryan day and learn from Ryan day and then move on to maybe a power five job because he's, he's that talented of a, of a recruiter. He's that talented of a, um, of a wide receiver coach and, and it may not take much else to sell a, a, a maybe a, a low-level Power 5 program or a Power 5 program that's, that's trying to take the next step on a guy like that. So I think his, his stock continues to rise, and, and it makes a ton of sense that Ohio State took care of him. Tony Alford also a promotion to run game coordinator along the same lines. Tony Alford is a guy who, you know, very uh, – we all saw they had a recruiting miss a couple years ago at running back. And he followed that up by getting trivia on Henderson. And we saw what trivia on Henderson did this year. He added Evan prior to that. Now they're rolling again there. The running backs under Tony Alford have been really, really productive. It's, it's hard to argue that. I think Tony Alford has a lot of qualities um, that would make him as appealing as a head coach. It's happened twice now that he's a Colorado state grad and that job has come open twice in the last couple of years. And his name got sort of got floated out there. And then he wasn't the guy. Um, what do you think it takes Tony Alford? What will it take for him to get a chance to be a head coach? Because, you know, uh, and he's, he's a black assistant and there's not a ton of black head coaches in college football. And he's been at Notre Dame. He's been at Ohio state. He's been really good at what he does. Uh, do you think there's a head coaching job in his future? I, I hope so. He, Tony's a great guy. Um, he, he, he's, he's done a really good job at a lot of places. Um, you know, I, I thought that maybe this time around with Colorado State coming open, his alma mater, that that, that might be a, a landing spot for him. They ended up, I think, making a terrific hire in Jay Norvell um, within the conference who, who had been on the radar for some power five jobs. So, you know, I, I, I just, you know, he's 53 years old. He's a career running backs coach. Running backs coaches, rightly or wrongly, are um, uh, yeah, there, there's a little bit of prejudice against them um, taking the race thing completely out of it. Just the, that, that a running backs coach is not as involved in the offense as a tight ends coach or a quarterbacks coach, or even a, an offensive line coach. So he, he'd have to overcome that. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think it would have to be a, a job that, that he looks at as, um, either this is my best shot or this is a place that I can win. I don't think he's going to leave for any um, FBS job that comes open, but you know, the older that he gets, unfortunately, if you've never been a head coach, it was sort of the th- same thing with Brent Venables and a Brent Venables had multiple chances to be a head coach, but you know, he was, he was, he became a 50 year old defensive coordinator who had never been a head coach. There's not very many of those guys that get their first opportunities. Um, so the older Tony gets, the more either he wants to be a head coach or the more he says, you know what, I've got a pretty good job. I've got a pretty good life. I can just ride this out for another 10 years, make a lot of money, retire and be set. And so it's, it's more just what, what his own ambitions are. Um, but I, I don't know if there's a, a large range of jobs that would want him. But again, you only need the right one. You only need the right athletic director. And I think anyone that looks at his resume 
uh, where he's coached. He's coached in the Pac-12. He's coached in the Big 12. Uh, he's coached at Louisville, obviously, before they were in the ACC, now at Ohio State, Notre Dame. Um, there, there's a lot of impressive credentials on, on that resume. He just needs somebody to take a chance on him. It is interesting. The more these assistants make, the less likely it is, I think, that assistants at a place like Ohio State are going to take a head job in the MAC, unless it's the best head job in the MAC, right? Because why, why would you leave to maybe make less money or not much more money to go rebuild a MAC program that might fire you in three years if you don't get it done? That even Urban, now Urban again wasn't a coordinator, but um, some of this stuff when the when the assistants start making more and more and more and more, it's not that you get comfortable, but there's certainty. It's fun to win, right? And it's like, unless you're, if you know, that you're not just going to take any head coaching job. You're going to wait for the right head coaching job. And then if it never comes, or if it does come, but you finish second a couple times for the right head coaching job, then maybe you just never end up doing it. But like you said, you might, you can still have a great career and make a lot of money. And it, it but I do think that's, that's part of the deal with the, the more, assistance make um do you know much about justin fry new offensive line yeah. coach for ohio state i mean a, a little bit I, I i i met him when he was at boston college and, and obviously he, he he and ryan day go back a bit um both were part of the chip kelly tree and, and, and justin obviously worked for uh, chip directly um with uh, with ucla and uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it, the move makes a lot of sense. That was a name that I'm sure you heard. I heard right, right when they made the, the decision to, to, uh, to, ha- to, to uh, replace their, their offensive line coach, that, that, that he would be a top target. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a good move for Ohio State. I think that they could get better up front. I think, uh, I think Justin's a guy that, that has worked on both coasts. He knows the head coach. He knows uh, he played in the Big Ten, I believe, at Indiana. And so he's got a connection yep. there. And so um, really, really I think will work well with Kevin Wilson, you know, who's very involved in the offensive line, you know, from, from his own background. So makes, makes sense and, and should, should be successful. Really no issues with that hire. All right. Quick break here on Buckeye Talk. I want to come back, talk about Ryan Day, talk a little about Marcus Freeman, talk a little bit about Jim Harbaugh. We'll do that next with Adam Rittenberg. Back with A. Ritt of ESPN. Try the text at 614-350-3315. So listen, the Ryan Day NFL stuff is floating around, right? I mean, it's it's out there. Um, I have said all along that I'll be surprised if he leaves now. I'll be surprised if he never coaches in the NFL. That's my standard answer on this. I do think the craziness of college football right now is probably frustrating to a variety of different people. But then also you look at like Matt rule. There's a great job in college goes to the NFL. And now there's a story the other day about Matt rule, like would, would have been interested in the Penn state job or Matt rule would be interested in the Michigan job. If that comes open, it's like, all right, well, I thought, I thought the college guys were getting sick of the portal stuff and sick of NIL. They want to go to the NFL. Now a guy who went to the NFL is like, Oh man, I might get fired. I'll go back to college. So I don't know what's more attractive right now. Let's do that. Generally though, our, are this, the changes, and, and it's like tough noogies, you're making millions of dollars, but are the changes and sort of the disconnect about the changes in college football, that everything's a tangent, nothing's cohesive, is it driving some head coaches in college football nuts, and is it making them view their futures any differently, do you think, Adam? I think there's a little bit of that. They're, they're not the most introspective lot, uh, college football yeah. coaches, but um, I, I think some wonder, well, where is this going? This is crazy. Uh, this isn't what I signed up for, but you know, did you also sign up to make $6 million a year uh, when you started your career? Probably not. Um, so, and I think still one thing that, that I've been told in, in talking to coaches and some agents as well, is that, is that you know, college is still looked at as the more stable place. I mean, anybody that goes to the NFL as a coach and thinks they're not there to eventually be fired is naive. I mean, yeah. other than the Andy Reeds who has been fired, Mike Tomlin, you know, those types of coaches, you will be fired in the NFL. And so, and one thing Ryan Day has said, I think he said this on the record a couple of times, is that that league is, is set up for everybody to go eight and eight. Right. He knows that he's at a place that is not set up to go six and six. He's at a place where, that, that is set up to be in the college football playoff every year to be in the Big Ten championship every year. And if you don't get to those stages like Ohio State didn't this year, it's a disappointment. I think Ryan would be the first to acknowledge that. So um, I, I, I know he's very appreciative of where he's at. 
I, I do think he's in line for an enhanced contract um, to match up with this new market again, which makes college, I think as attractive or more attractive than the NFL in terms of the money that Mel Tucker got and James Franklin got and Brian Kelly got and Lincoln Riley got, I mean, it's a, it's a, a market that's going up and up for, for proven head coaches at the college level. And Ryan day is in that category. And so um, I, 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 to me, I, I, I don't think he's going to be a head coach this cycle. I I'm with you that he may never, but I also think if he wins a national championship or two, there would be more incentive to then go mm-hmm. depending on the right job um, and, and see if he could do it. Because I think, you know, he, he obviously spent time in the NFL. I think it's, uh, it, it's funny. I mean, some, some, some college coaches that I talk to don't pay any attention to the NFL. One of them, interesting and interestingly enough, and I'm curious if you've ever had this conversation with him is Luke fickle. I, I, I visited Luke before the season and Luke is best friends with Mike Rabel and doesn't pay any attention to the NFL unless he just made that up, which I don't know why he would. So, um, um, he's a guy that would he ever get an NFL opportunity? Maybe, but he's not very invested in the NFL from what I can tell. Um, right. Ryan maybe is a little bit more Matt when he, Matt rule, when he was in college was very invested in the NFL. So if you ever went to the NFL combine, which I, I used to go to every year, um, you'd see a handful of college coaches that were there, not many, but some Matt rule was always there. So, and he was also interviewing for head coaching jobs in the NFL every year. So he was on that track. Obviously, Harbaugh is on that track because he's been in the NFL. You know, Ryan's kind of in the middle. I, I, I don't know. I, I could see him never going, like you said. I could see him going in a few years. I don't think he's going this year. I mean, I, I, at least from what as we're recording this today, I've not heard anything about him being a serious candidate for a head of a, an NFL job. So, um, but it is interesting because of his quarterback background, because he's been in the NFL already. Um, you know that that maybe that's in the cards at some point, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I do think uh, when Ryan came back it was like he came to Ohio State from the NFL and everybody says what they have to say in the moment but he was kind of making the point of like I'm not an NFL guy I'm a college guy who went to the NFL and like all those guys say like I got my PhD in football I went I did that but this is who I am I was I've been recruiting forever right and so maybe he's just saying that because he took a college job but I also believe that to some extent now the other thing is he you know New England man he was, wasn't sitting around watching UMass footballs on Saturday. He was sitting right. with, his gran- with his grandpa watching the Patriots. So like, that's the one that always is in the back of my mind. It's like, he's never said this, but like, if most people, your dream job is like the, the job when you were a kid that you would have think that's the Patriots for him. So like, let me know when Belichick's retiring. And then we can talk about Ryan day. You are a bears fan. And that was the place that everybody was like, well, uh, Trace Armstrong and Justin Fields. And now the Bears, by all reports, are down to either Jim Caldwell or Dan Quinn for that job. And so it's like all of a sudden there was a lot of I don't want to say wasted breath because people reported it. And it's fine. That's what we do. Sometimes you report stuff that's a maybe and then lots of times maybes or no's. But if that's the one, Adam, that people were like, oh, my God, Ryan Day in the NFL. It's like, no, he's, it's not going to be the Bears for him. So then it's probably not anything right now, as you said. No, I, that, that, that seemed like the only, um, you know, really likely spot, uh, it, it, you know, for him and, and, and who knows if the interest level would have been there. Uh, it doesn't seem to be there on the bear side. Uh, I don't know if it would have been on there on, on, on Ryan's side or not, but um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I've talked with some coaches about, about the bears job and, and uh, one, one of them even made the comment to me, like, which roster would you rather have right now? The bears or Ohio state. I mean, the bears are a, a, a roster that needs a lot of work. Ohio State's a roster that you know maybe is a few pieces away from winning a national championship. And again, that the fact that that hasn't been done yet to me, it would feel incomplete for for Ryan. Um, he's been in the playoff a couple of times. Um, you know, the the first year, I think they should have made the national title game where they probably would have lost. The second year, they did make the national title game where they lost. Um, I, I think he wants to to get that one for sure. It makes sense. Um, and and he's going to be in that conversation certainly in 2022. And and the way they're recruiting, you know, I would say three out of every four years are going to be in that conversation to win a national title. And so um, until that happens, I think you know he, he's more likely than not going to stay. Um, but, you know, the Patriots are interesting. You know, one thing I think also with him is that people might want to see can his are his quarterbacks having success in the NFL. Yeah. Um, that's one thing that Lincoln Riley has has had. Right. I mean, he's had three quarterbacks who have had some level of success in the NFL. Um, you know, Dwayne Haskins obviously hasn't had success. Uh, Joe Burrow. I don't know if you want to give Ryan Day credit for that. He was in the room with him uh, briefly. 
Uh, and then we'll see with Justin Fields. We're obviously hoping that he has success here uh, in Chicago, but um, but this this is a tough year. So uh, I think that that might be also part of the the, calcu- the calculus on the NFL side it, you know, before they before they really go all, all in on him. You also have to wonder whether um, NFL teams will pursue many college coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Urban Meyer maybe part of this discussion or maybe completely separate, but you know, you wonder how that affects things. Uh, you wonder how Matt rule, if Matt rule doesn't have success uh, with the Panthers, pretty good situation. If he doesn't have success, how will that impact uh, the pursuit of college coaches? Cliff Kingsbury, you know, had had success until the playoffs this year and then, and then, and then flamed out. So, you know, I I don't know if there's a, 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 a burning appetite necessarily at the NFL level for college coaches, but at the same time, I don't think there's a bunch of Vince Lombardi's walking the sideline in the NFL. So you can go, you can go either way. I do think it's interesting when Dwayne Haskins left Ohio state, I, I sort of thought, okay, is it going to be more that Dwayne Haskins made Ryan day look good or that Ryan day made Dwayne Haskins look good. And Dwayne Haskins got thrown into a weird franchise situation in Washington, but Dwayne also didn't play great. And I think in that equation so far, it's more like, Oh, I think Ryan day made Dwayne Haskins look pretty good. Right. And put him in a good situation and gave him an offense to, to win. Justin, I think will have more success than that. But I, I think you make a very good point about that. Where for instance, on the other side, everybody thought Joe Brady, who was with Matt rule in Carolina as the offense coordinator this year. It's like Joe Brady is the genius behind the LSU national championship offense. And it's like, Oh no, it's just, they had like a top five quarterback and two top five receivers, NFL caliber dudes. And I, maybe Joe Brady wasn't a genius because he just got fired, man. So like, it's interesting how your perception of like, when you get a couple years away from it, it's like, who was really the engine behind something and it can change. Right. And, and a lot of times they're all good. Joe Brady did a good job at LSU. Dwayne Haskins was a good quarterback at Ohio state, but in that equation, somebody sort of elevated and the other side of it didn't rise to quite the same level. I want to get a little big picture here now before we do it in the Big Ten. I do want to do it with Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. When Brian Kelly left, I thought this is the hire they have to make. I compared it a lot to it's certainly a very different circumstance, but the end result of when Northwestern hired Pat Fitzgerald. It's like you have a guy in the building. You have an, a head coach opening, obviously, Northwestern's was tragic with the death of Randy Walker, but it's like, is this guy a gazillion percent ready right this second? I don't know, but if you let him, if you don't hire him and you let him go, like he's going to be ready in like two years and then you might not be able to get him back. And you think he's got a lot of traits. He's smart. He's personable. He's played. He connects to players and Northwestern said, like, we can't, we got to hire Pat Fitzgerald. We'll see. Who knows? And it's worked out tremendously for Northwestern, even though they're good and they're bad and they're good and they're bad. That's better than bad, 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 bad. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Notre Dame had to hire Marcus Freeman, but I wasn't sure if they would. Credit to them for doing so. What was your view of that opening? And what did you think of the hiring of Marcus Freeman? Right. Well, you know, so timing is, is, is so much in these searches, right? And if, uh, if Notre Dame was ready for a coaching search, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit different, but I also give Marcus credit. I mean, the guy that arrived on campus, I think like January 8th, the impact that he made between then and the end of November when he, when he got the job is, is remarkable. And it shows some of the qualities that you just mentioned, how personable he is, uh, how smart he is, how he can relate well, not just to players, but to other people that you have to interact with as a uh, as, as a defensive coordinator, then ultimately as a head coach. And, you know, in, in, in talking with uh, with Jack Schwarbeck, the athletic director about Marcus um, after he made the hire, you know, he, he, he hit on all those qualities and also was very cognizant of the fact that this is going to take some time for him to learn the head coaching role and to make some mistakes. And Notre Dame's not the most patient place. And they're, you know, Brian Kelly, whether you like him or hate him, you got to respect what he did. Uh, in terms of making Notre Dame a consistent winner here. And they're used to winning 10, 11, 12 games. They're used to being in the playoff conversation. And so how comfortable will they be with a little bit of a, a learning curve? You even saw that maybe in their bowl game loss to Oklahoma State where they blew that big lead. And so um, that part of it will be interesting. But to your point, how can you let that guy walk out? Yep. And, and, and there's no guarantee, you know, unless maybe you were going to wait around for Luke Fickle, 
that somebody that you were going to bring in, you would feel really, 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 really good that they, that they'd have uh, comparable success to Brian Kelly. I think what they're hoping for with Marcus Freeman is a better recruiter with a lot of the other qualities that worked for Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. Um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the coaching staff when it's all said and done, because I think it's important for Marcus to have uh, you know, some experience on that staff, ideally somebody who's a former head coach who could help mentor him or maybe hire just like Steve Sarkeesian did with Gary Patterson, a special assistant, you know, somebody who can, who can really help him with some of those areas that, that again, to his no, no fault of his own, he hasn't really experienced. And so um, th- that's my only concern with Marcus is he's so into the energy and the recruiting and the youthfulness sometimes you put together a staff like that as a first time head coach and you miss some of the things that a Brian Kelly would be able to, to help you with, or a Jim Tressel would, would be able to help you with urban Meyer, the, the people who have done it for a while. That that's my only concern. But other than that, I think that they're going to recruit better. They're, they're going to be set up better for this era of college football with NIL and, and some of the other things that are going on the transfer portal. Um, and I, I think you know, that, 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 that culture will be a healthy one will they be okay with an eight and four every so often, even maybe next year when they open up with Ohio state and they got Clemson, they got BYU and there's questions on their own roster. How, how are they going to react to that? But if they give him time to grow into this role, I think he's going to be a really good head coach. I think like the option of Notre Dame hires Luke fickle and maybe Marcus Freeman takes over at Cincinnati and becomes the head coach there. I think that would have been a fine option for both programs as well. But I like rolling the dice, right? Luke would have been a great hire. I just, Marcus is in the building, roll the dice a little bit. And when you just said like, have, have like a head coach as a special assistant, Tress is busy, but like if Tress was like, you know what, Youngstown State, you're good. I'm going to Notre Dame to like be the special assistant to Marcus Freeman. I'm all over that. And Urban doesn't have a job. Now I don't think that would actually happen i don't think that's gonna happen that's not the one Tressel, by the way has has he done this way longer than you thought he would i mean i can't believe he's still doing it oh no he's like i mean it's like oh yeah football coach is gonna do go be the president of a university jim Tressel's like walking around being like here i'm here i am with uh you know the academic decathlon team and it's like he seems to love it but he'll mm-hmm. also if you call the guy up and want to talk about football he'll talk about football too like it is he it, it is remarkable but also it sort of fits what trestle is the trestle's like oh no yeah i'm actually a president of a university what did you why would you think i wasn't gonna right right and it's like okay sorry so um yeah interesting so i i i like that higher um the fact that it's the first game is in ohio stadium is just like bazonkers so like i'll i'll be very curious to see how that goes uh i want to do big 10 and we'll do that after our last break here in buckeye talk Doug Maurice back with Adam Rittenberg. Do you think Jim Harbaugh is Michigan's head coach in the 2022 season? <laughs> you know, as of this moment, yes. And, and I, and I do believe it's, it's trending in, in that direction. Um, you know, all, all along, I kind of similar to Ryan day and the bears. I felt that the only logical spot for Jim other than Michigan would have been the Las Vegas Raiders because of his connection to uh, Mark Davis and to the franchise, having started his career there as a, as a, as a coach um, being back on the West coast, the fact that they like to make bold moves as a franchise. I think that would have been um, something that, that could have been uh, appealing, but, and you're talking to people on his staff. I mean, there, there, there's an understanding that, you know, he, he still loves the NFL and, and may want to get back there one day, but I, I, I think it's, 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 you know, 75%, 70%, you know, likely that, that he's back at Michigan next year. And, uh, you know, with a, with a chance to follow this up, I think that's, what's really exciting is that, you know, they, they, they took a major step uh, last year. I mean, a historic step from a losing record and being one of the worst teams in the big 10 to big 10 champions and, and uh, beating Ohio state in a college football playoff appearance. Um, so where can you go from here? I mean, you saw how far uh, they still have to go uh, on the field. They saw that in their loss to Georgia, but um, it's also exciting to figure out, you know, how to close that gap if you're if you're Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. So um, I, I think he's back uh, and I think it'll be uh, really exciting to see whether Michigan's a one hit wonder or a program that can kind of sustain and truly challenge Ohio State, maybe not every year, but in most years. 
I am fascinated, like if it would happen or if he stays just playing the game, like who would replace him? Like if he would leave, is Josh Gaddis someone that Michigan would consider for that? Um, I almost tried to, I mean, what do I know? But I was almost wondering like, hey, Harb, John Harbaugh got rid of the Ravens defensive coordinator. Is he trying to get Mike McDonald back knowing that like oh, my brother's leaving, I won't be stealing my brother's defensive coordinator. I was like, is that a sign? Is that a sign? But I'm trying to figure like this late in the cycle. Is it, would it be Matt Campbell? Would it be like, who, who would be next up if Michigan in a week is like, oh yeah, we need a new head coach. Right. Well, you know, I think Matt Campbell's name would come up. I think it's a job along with Notre Dame that he has always looked at as a potential landing spot. Um, I don't know if whether, you know, his stock did take a hit last year. There's no way to sugarcoat that. That was a program that was what preseason top 10, top 12, and, and ended up seven and six. Um, but still done a really good job overall at Iowa state. He's a, he's an Ohio guy. He's a quarterback guy. Um, I think he'd fit pretty well at Michigan. You know, uh, I, I think you look at Luke fickle. I, I have a hard time thinking Luke could, could end up in maize and blue, but I think you'd be, you'd be foolish if you're, if you're Ward Manuel and the Michigan administration, not to uh, at least gauge Luke Fickle's interest, mm-hmm. because let, let's be honest here. If Cincinnati is not in the playoff, there's a decent chance Luke Fickle is either at Notre Dame or, or somewhere else. I mean, he was sort of off limits until early January and now the season's over. And so uh, I just talked to Luke the other day is excited about Cincinnati is excited about the big 12, but if you're Michigan, I think you, you definitely make that call. Matt Rule, you just mentioned him. Mm-hmm. Why, why not gauge his interest? I think he'd be a good fit, uh, a guy that had really good success, obviously, at Baylor, turning that program around. Temple, um, you know, played in, played in the Big Ten at, at Penn State. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien's name came up last year when there was sort of some limbo around Harbaugh, uh, that there's a, a, a group of boosters that would at least be open to the idea of Bill O'Brien, who's with Alabama, former Penn State coach, former Houston Texans coach, um, where they look at him. And then internally, you know, I think Josh Gaddis uh, would 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 certainly uh, make you think about him. You know, he he uh, he won the Broyles Award as the nation's top assistant coach. Uh, the offense was much better this year. Um, he's a guy that I think has the type of personality who can deal with boosters, who can deal with um, you know the people that you have to as the Michigan head coach. Now, Michigan is one of those programs that that may not that may think it can. Well, we're Michigan; we don't have to just promote from within. Even though it's late in the game, we can go out and do a full search. But I think if they if they were interested in in kind of keeping the continuity from last year, Gaddis would be interesting. Mike Hart is there, maybe mm-hmm. a little early for him. Uh, but I you know I think those are the names you're probably going to hear if that job comes open. Yeah, Mike Hart would be interesting, right? Like that is that is like a a scooch bit of a stretch for a guy who's only a position coach. But man, like that you want a Michigan man like that would be that would be fascinating if if I mean that's one of those things like if you had to bet. Will and people know Mike Hart, Mike Hart, the guy, the Chad Henney, Mike Hart, Jake Long guy back from you guys know who we're talking about, right? And then he was a running backs coach. He's Michigan's running backs coach right now. He was just Indiana's running backs coach a couple of years ago, right? He's fairly new to Michigan staff. If you said like right now, will Mike Hart in his lifetime be Michigan's head football coach? That might be a pretty solid bet. This would be a little early given his resume and his age right now, but that would be an interesting name if that came open. On the National College Football Podcast, I do. I don't know, Adam, if you knew I did. Look at you. I did that. We should should partner up on the podcast. Let's do it. Let's make some cash. Come on. The We did a thing of like who – we said like who could be next year's Georgia, who could be next year's Michigan, who could be next year's Cincinnati. Michigan, what what did that mean? It was like sort of like a blue blood who sort of rises up and reaches like a new level, maybe makes its first playoff appearance. We were throwing out programs that could be that. One of the programs that I threw out was Penn State. And I'm wondering about now that the Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy thing worked out in a very specific way that I can't believe it worked out the way it did. But I thought Michigan was exceptionally well coached all year. I thought they were doing the whole McCarthy thing to make him the starting quarterback by the Ohio State game. And it's like, nope, they just did the same thing the whole year. And it actually kind of worked. Cade McNamara is who he is. He makes some mistakes. He makes some good plays, but they got to the playoff with the guy. So all credit to Michigan for doing that. Drew Aller and Sean Clifford next year, I think could be a version of Sean Clifford is the older guy. Drew Aller is the younger guy. But if I were Penn State, I might get to Drew Aller 
quicker and more than Michigan got to JJ McCarthy. Cause I think you, you really know who Sean Clifford is by now. And there is a ceiling on that kind of quarterback and drew Raller is the best quarterback recruit that Penn state has had since I don't even know when Tony Saka, who knows? I don't know. I did grow up in Pennsylvania watching Penn state games so I can name some old Penn state quarterbacks. The idea of like a Penn State leap, I know they lost two of their three good linebackers. They lost a lot of guys in their secondary, but Joey Porter Jr. is back. They have some guys back there. They lost Jahan Dotson, but I've always liked Parker Washington. They've got to get their run game straightened out. That was awful this past year. I wonder if Nicholas Singleton, as a freshman, can really have an impact. I don't know, but do you think – and now James Franklin's back. I know like there's an out in his contract, but at least it's a little more settled maybe than it was a, a year or two ago. Could Penn state make a leap? Can Penn state look at Michigan and say, yeah, we want to do that. We've been really good, but we can make a playoff leap next year. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they absolutely can. And I mean, it, it, uh, to be honest, they've been closer than Michigan had been uh, until last yep. year. They, they'd been the team that Ohio state really had to worry about uh, until, until Michigan broke through. Um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with the quarterbacks, right? Because, um, you know, Mike Yurcich, who was at Ohio State, is, is back as offensive coordinator. You know, he, 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 he worked with Sean Clifford, and I think did a good job with Sean Clifford. Um, but I think, like you said, there's a ceiling there, and it wasn't his handpicked quarterback. Um, Drew Allar is. I mean, Drew Allar is a guy that, that Yurcich is, you know, knows is coming in and, and can build his scheme around. To me, though, it, none of it's going to matter. Penn State couldn't, <laughs> couldn't run the football. Yeah. I mean, they, they could not run the football. Amazing. And that should never happen at Penn State. Uh, and, and we were just talking about Michigan's usage of quarterbacks. Well, that, that goes out the window if they don't have a really good offensive line. Now, not an elite offensive line because we saw what happened to them in the, in the playoff, but they had a good offensive line that allowed them to run the ball with multiple backs and control the line of scrimmage, control the tempo, and control games. If Penn State can't do that, it doesn't matter how good Drew Aller is uh, just as a quarterback. He's not going to be as effective. Um, without uh, you know much much uh, you know better protection up front, so you know I think defensively, even though they lose Brent Pry, I think they bring back some talent and they've recruited well on that side of the ball. Uh, I think they can be solid, but to me, it just it, offensive line, run run game, and then and then quarterback usage in that, in that order. If they can if they can take steps with those first two, I think it could, it could get really interesting. Now you're looking at their schedule. You know, they get they get Purdue and Auburn on the road early on. They also have at Michigan, but the back half of the schedule is quite favorable. Their only road games are are Indiana and Rutgers. They get both Ohio State and Michigan State at home. Uh, you know, Michigan State late in the season, where where weather is likely a factor. So that is interesting. If they can get through that first half of the season, run the ball better, they also get Minnesota at home. So they get some some of their better opponents other than Michigan uh, in, in, in happy Valley, which, which gives them a chance, but they're going to have to address those other issues right off the top. Who's the next most interesting program in the big 10. I mean, like when you have a big 10 conversation, it obviously starts with Ohio state, Michigan had a great year. Penn state, as you said, has been closer to Ohio state than anybody else. Who's next. Is it Wisconsin? Wisconsin kind of had a goofy start to the year, but then ended up having like a great defense and got their run game going. Iowa reached number two, but was really never that. Northwestern is good, bad, you know, excuse me, good, awful, good, awful. Um, is Michigan State for real with the portal team they created? They gave Mel Tucker a bunch of money. I think Mel Tucker was the real deal, but that was sort of a one-year roster kind of thing in some ways. Like, who's on your radar? Nebraska, right? Like, if you <laughs> analyze the Nebraska season a certain way, it's like the numbers would tell you they should have won nine games and they won four or whatever they did. Who Who's, like, on your radar for another Big Ten team? Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan State has to be right. They were top ten. Um, I know they lose a lot. They lose Kenneth Walker. They lose uh, some other, uh, you know, good, good older players. I don't know if they're going to work the portal exactly the as brilliantly as they did this past year, but they also get another uh, Mel Tucker recruiting class to to kind of get through that program. Um, so they're interesting to me. I I, I, I think Wisconsin's at a bit of a crossroads, honestly, uh, Doug. They they weren't great two years ago. This year they were nine and four, but it, it didn't feel like a real great season for them. They lost to Minnesota with a chance to go to the Big Ten championship game. They're, they're still struggling to figure out 
um, what what Graham Mertz is going to be at quarterback. Um, they did, you know, they're, they're they are hiring a new coordinator. You know, Bobby Engram is in line to uh, to come there as as the OC from the Ravens. And so I'm interested to see if they can take a step forward, not only from a quarterback perspective, but from a receiver perspective, because they really um, they they've really struggled at that position uh, the last few years. So um, you know, I, I I just don't know what to make of them. So you know, I think Iowa is fascinating, right? Because they should be really good defensively again next year, especially um, in the uh, in 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 the front. The, their defensive line and their linebacker play should be great. But what are they going to do at quarterback? It, it, it's it's the, the Big Ten still has a quarterback problem um, for much of this conference, um, even though Ohio State's clearly figured it out. I think Michigan has something that's workable. We just talked about Penn State, Maryland's in a pretty good spot. But you look at Iowa, you look at Wisconsin, you know, Minnesota, Tanner Morgan still there. But how excited does he get you? You know, Purdue is in a pretty good space quarterback-wise, but uh, Nebraska's got questions. Northwestern's got major questions, Illinois. And so there's a lot of programs in this conference that are still trying to figure out what they're going to do at the most important position. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what the Nebraska transfers can do there, if they can figure that out a little bit. And I'll say the Wisconsin thing, I, I mean, I think a lot of people were like, okay, Graham Mertz is the solution, right? Ohio State would have taken Graham Mertz if he would have been willing to flip. And it turns out it's like, my God, they turned Graham Mertz into – Alex Hornibrook. They turn Graham Mertz into every other noodle arm quarterback in the history of Wisconsin. It's the place. It's a curse. They are doing this to these quarterbacks. Like it wasn't Graham Mertz didn't raise the level. It's like Wisconsin dragged him down. That was very eye-opening for me. That is there's something inherent there that if you're going to have this kind of offensive line and run the ball this well, we're going to ruin quarterbacks yeah. in the process. Cause man, like other than the one year, Russell Wilson, and he was a fully formed dude that they couldn't ruin in one year. They haven't had anybody who's like, who's like a get who's a playoff caliber quarterback. They're like at theirs. They're at their big 10 ceiling. They're an excellent program. You go, you start doing, Hey, the last 10 years, last 15 years in major college football, best winning percentage. You go through stuff. It's like, what Wisconsin seventh, that kind of, you know, I just, but that kind of stuff happens all the time. But how can they get better than that? It's like, well, they got to get better quarterback play. You thought they had the guy, and we haven't seen it yet. I, I would be a little concerned, but then maybe Bobby Engram or higher like this, Paul Chris might have to let go a little bit, man, right? And like say, okay, maybe I've maxed out with this offense. Let's try somebody else's vision because they're they're kind of they really are who they are, which has been for good in a lot of ways. But at some point, I think maybe they want a little more. Yeah, and, and they and they should want more, right? Because they have um, they have a you know they have a special running back right now. I think in, in Braylon Allen, they have a defense that the last really you go back three coordinators has been one of the top three or four in college football in pretty any in any category that matters. Uh, Dave Aranda to Justin Wilcox to now Jim Leonard, who who has uh, who has just been phenomenal as their uh, as their defensive play caller. So it's very clear what has to happen there. They need to get better in the passing game. And that's where the Ingram hire could be could be really interesting um, because of his own background as a receiver and, and having spent time in the NFL uh, with with John Harbaugh and different quarterbacks, you know, Lamar Jackson most recently. Um, so you know I, I think it's an important moment for them to maybe pivot. Uh, in, in that direction of, of being a more exciting quarterback program, a more exciting passing game program, but history kind of goes against that. It's, it's like Iowa, right? I mean, Iowa um, has all these other elements in place and they just can't get the offense, right. Whether it's quarterback, whether it's receiver um, this year, the offensive line wasn't as good as it's been at times. And it's just, you know, as someone who likes the big twin, I like the way they play in the big 10 West a lot of the time. Uh, but it is uh, frustrating in the sense that you have a lot of programs that just can't really get over the hump because of their limitations, either in personnel or in philosophy. And I think that's fair to ask, you know, will, will Paul Christ be limited in his philosophy to not get them over the hump by quarterback? Will Kirk Ferentz and Brian Ferentz be limited in their philosophy to prevent Iowa from taking that step at quarterback? Because if, if, if so, then they have that clear ceiling. It's, yep. it's, you know, it's nine, 10 wins. It's getting to the big 10 championship game. It's winning a decent bowl game. It's a pretty nice life, but it's not a, uh, it, it's not anything that, that we're, that we're really excited about nationally. And I do think it's fair. The big 10 is better. The big 10 has raised expectations and all the conversations we had back when you were doing the big 10 blog, man. And you know, the big 10 network was starting up and I, 
say this all the time. It's like, ah, the Big Ten's going to make money with the Big Ten Network. I remember saying to Gene Smith, what are you going to do with it? So what? You're giving up some stuff for this, right? You do it. What are you getting out of it? One of the things they got is better head coaches. And when you start going through, I mean, when we looked at, especially in the West, where it was 10 years ago, and now you look at Jeff Brom, Brett Bielema, P.J. Fleck, Pat Fitzgerald, right? Paul Christ, like Scott Frost. Scott Frost was a good hire when it was made. It hasn't worked out great, but like that was a good hire when it was made. Like you can see it. Kirk Ferentz has been there forever. See, he was there back then. You can see that. And I do think the expectation level then has been raised for a lot of these programs, but like nobody's completely seized it yet, right? And the, re- the deal is Wisconsin's been so good, now they want a little bit more, right? And, and Northwestern, all of a sudden, now you're... Com- it's like, well, Northwestern used to be awful. Well, now they're good sometimes. Why aren't they more consistent? Well, Kirk Ferentz has been there forever, but like, when are they going to have like another year like 2002 and really be a player on the national stage? And they got the number two this year and then they fell apart, right? When is Scott Frost going to do more than win close games? It's because the standard has been raised, Adam, and the Big Ten is better. The Big Ten's the second best conference, right? Is that even the people, is that even an argument? I mean, everybody in college football would agree with this right now. That wasn't the case. 10 years ago. So congrats to the big 10 for that. It means more competition for programs like Ohio state, but it also means that, you know, winning seven games and going to a mediocre bowl is not going to maybe cut it at as many programs, because I think for it's reasonable for a lot of places to want a little bit more. And that's a good thing for the conference. It is, Um, you know, my issues with the big 10 are still the lack of a, a a true consistent national player. Uh, to join Ohio State because that's helped the SEC. Let's face it, they've had three team, three different teams win the national championship in the last three years. The Big Ten, it's still Ohio State, or, or you know, you just haven't had that threat. I mean, Michigan, yep. you know, was not impressive in their first playoff appearance. Can they get back there? A and B, can they have more success when they get back there? Michigan State, unimpressive in their first playoff appearance, haven't been back since. Can they get back there? Penn State, how many capable programs are there at the national level? But then also for these other places, you know, can they make some changes that will get them to take a step? And I really keep going back to the quarterback position that's held back Wisconsin. They've been good enough in all their other areas that sometimes it hasn't overcome them. It's absolutely held back Iowa. It's absolutely held back Northwestern to the point of that's the, probably the biggest reason why they fell uh, so far down. And so that's still the position that I look at, even Michigan. You know, will J.J. McCarthy be that guy? Will he be that, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud type of guy for Michigan? He better be because, you know, Georgia won this year with a guy in Stetson Bennett who was very, very good, not elite. That's going to be the exception, not the rule. Next year, it's probably going to be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud who leads their team to a national championship because they are both elite players. And that's what the rest of the Big Ten has to, um, I think, embrace a little bit more along with the, the spending. You mentioned the money uh, in this conference. And one of the things that drives me a little bit nuts is, is that there's so much talk about all the sports that they sponsor and winning nas- and, and, and competing for championships and everything. How about winning a national championship in football? How about winning a national championship in, in men's basketball? Because that's going to help you more than anything else in any other sport. And so the investments like Ohio State made, like Michigan's made in its staff, like Penn State, Michigan State have made, that to me is encouraging because those are the programs where the money should be going. No disrespect to the other programs. Those Olympic sports, they're great. But as a conference, you have to be competing for championships in, 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 the, in the major sports, and the Big Ten could be doing a better job of that. I have thought in the portal world, and I know Pat Fitzgerald has kind of pushed back against the idea of like, hey, we're a quarterback portal place, you know, because they had – Tried Hunter Johnson, didn't work, but like Peyton Ramsey hits. That's great. Like, okay, let's do that. I actually think the Big Ten should be really interested in that, right? That when Spencer Rattler was in the portal, I was like, man, like Brett Bielema, get on the phone, man. You know, like JT Daniels is in the portal. Like JT Daniels should wind up in the Big Ten. Why should he? He's been in the Pac-12. He's been in the SEC. JT Daniels should be, um, I don't know. Minnesota's quarterback next year. I don't know who, like maybe Tanner Morgan is back yeah. for the year nine or whatever, but like, that's, I, I do think that's an opportunity that are they going to recruit five-star quarterbacks? Well, Michigan just got JJ McCarthy and Penn state just got Drew Allers and Ohio state gets guys all the time. So that's good. But like, even, you know, you talked about Michigan's and Maryland's in good shapes because they got a transfer to a Tonga Vailoa or 
Talia Tonga-Vailoa, that's the example. I think the Big Ten needs to work the portal for quarterbacks and be proactive there and not view – it's like, hey, we can recruit almost anything else, but we got to find portal guys to get us over the top at quarterback, and I think I think it would be a great way to go. I want to get your national perspective before you go because we want to make sure people are reading you at ESPN for all the national coverage that you do. Was there a – it was such an interesting offseason with coaching moves. What was the – was there a move that really – caught your attention more than any other Mario Cristobal to Miami or Lincoln Riley to USC or Brent Venables to Oklahoma or all the millions of different Brian Kelly to LSU fascinating off season that is going to absolutely have an impact on what teams are making the playoff in the next two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Well, it's obviously the, you know, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly making those moves in back-to-back days. You know, we may never see that again, or maybe we will see that every year. It's kind of hard to, to say, but that, that, that's just, that's an outlier, right? You just don't, don't expect one of those to happen much less two in a 48 hour span. Um, And they both could be very impactful for, for their programs, especially like in Riley to USC. I mean, for all the PAC 12s problems and we could get into you know, the, the you know, television network and revenue and, you know, fewer people are playing football in California. You could also just boil it down to USC hasn't been good enough. And you can, for all the things you want to hold against Larry Scott, he didn't hire Clay Helton. Uh, and so USC acting like a big boy program in everything that it's done in terms of the pursuit of and ultimately acquisition of Lincoln Riley uh, is encouraging for, for not just that program, but the entire region. Because um, Lincoln Riley, given his track record, given what he does at quarterback, what they can do in NIL and how they'll market their program, you know, USC should have as, as good a chance as any to compete for national championships again in the next three or four years. And so, you know, LSU just won one a few years ago. Can Brian Kelly get them back there? We'll see. But USC hasn't been there. They haven't even made the playoff. Uh, their, their, their last uh, BCS national championship team was what? Oh, four. Yeah. Uh, so, or Oh five. Um, that's a long time. So for them to get back, uh, this is the hire. They, they, and I just, it's encouraging to see a program. It's like when Ohio State goes out and hires Jim Knowles. I think, as someone who covers the sport, that's what Ohio State should do. When USC goes and hires Lincoln Riley, it's like, aha, that's what USC is supposed to do as a program with their history. They were not acting like that before. They made bad coaching hires. They made, made even worse athletic director hires. But Mike Bone, to his credit, his team around him, they went out and they got their guy. And this gives them the best chance to be truly a nationally relevant program. I'll ask you one more question because my, my partner on the College Football Survivor Show is based in Texas. So we're constantly are talking about Texas. And he's like, Texas is, oh, you know, it drives him crazy because people sometimes talk about Texas in a way that he's like, that's not what Texas is. Texas hasn't been that in 50 years. Sark and Quinn Ewers, man, like, is that a magic formula? Like, do you think like, if, and is this an opening in the big 12 momentarily before they leave where Lincoln Riley's out, Oklahoma's sort of like starting from scratch in some ways should Sark and that offense and that number one ranked quarterback jump right in and can Texas assert itself right now? I, you know, I, I have my doubts, but They've had a good offseason, right? Objectively, um, you know, adding Quinn Ewers, adding some other transfers. They had what's now ESPN's number four recruiting class. They brought in Gary Patterson to assist Steve Sarkeesian, which is a great move if you think about it. Um, so I, I understand the excitement there. Uh, I, I just have my doubts about the Quinn Ewers thing working out. Just how it went at Ohio State combined with some of the things that have hurt Texas before it's almost like Texas is one of those places where like they'll, they'll, they'll kill it in NIL, but it may not matter on the field. It's just, it's just like, like that's kind of who they are. Right. It's all about, it's all about the, uh, the buzz around Texas and the hype and, and, and but it never translates. Right. Um, so that, that's where my skepticism comes from. Could, could they do it? Sure. Should they be better? Absolutely. Uh, but I also like some of the changes in the big 12, Doug. I mean, if you look at it, the two teams that played in the, in the big 12 championship, that looked like a big 10 game. You yep. had two really, really good defensive teams, uh, Oklahoma State, where Jim Knowles came from, and, and Baylor. And that whole league is pivoting. Um, I think Oklahoma is going to get better defensively with, with Brent Venables. Um, you've already seen it at Iowa State. You've seen it at Kansas State, programs like that. So, um, you know, Texas, I looked it up. They've been, you know, we talked about Ohio State being not great defensively. They've been horrible defensively the last seven or eight years. So they're gonna, they have a long way to go. 
Um, is there more opportunity in the Big 12? Sure. It's not the SEC. It's not the Big 10. Um, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big gap to close this year for Sark. I'm just excited to see if he can do it. And, and maybe Quinn Ewers is the guy to get him there. It is fascinating that Ohio State, in a search for someone to fix its defense, found the guy in the Big 12, which, again, that was – Big 12 defensive fixes. Nobody ever would have thought that, but that league is changing. And again, Dave Aranda, right? That's Dave Aranda was at Wisconsin. And it was like, Wisconsin couldn't pay to keep him. And all of a sudden LSU is throwing money at him. And now he's a head coach and he's a really good defensive mind. And you see it paying off at a place like Baylor, Adam Rittenberg, people can read you at ESPN. What's your Twitter account so that people can follow Yeah, at ESPN Rittenberg. And you are also a, uh, a, a basketball coach for five and six-year-olds. So that's very important. And best of luck uh, with that. We enjoy having you on here. We, uh, we appreciate and respect your expertise um, in the college realm. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to start the Big Ten blog back up, we'd read it, man. I mean, it's, the idea, it's know. You, you used to do like eight, you and Brian Bennett, but it was just you at the beginning, right? Like, when did you do like 10 posts a day, eight posts a day? For real, what was that? How many I posts would, a day were you doing on the Big Ten blog? So many that we could not have done this podcast together. I, I would have had to take a break to do a post, or I would have to be doing posts while we were talking, barely paying attention to you. So I, I do appreciate that, but uh, I, 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 at least for now, I'm glad those days are over. Crazy. The internet's crazy, man. Internet's crazy. Now we just podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Adam Rittenberg, thanks so much for your time. Uh, You guys, thanks for listening. For Adam, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.